welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Greetings today, Pastor Nick Cassidy and all of the other pastors in Ireland, all of wonderful men and women of God that we've gotten the opportunity to know over the years. So happy that I could be with you via camera this Sunday and to bring you a word which I'm trusting and believing is going to encourage you in God. I have had the opportunity for many, many years to be there in Ireland and to see the development of the testimony of Christ. I saw your tears. I saw when God lifted many of your heads and uh, the blessing and prosperity of God came upon you as the bride of Jesus Christ. I want to bring to you a message today simply entitled, The King is Seeking a Bride. The King is Seeking a Bride. This is an end time message. I'm going to be speaking from the book of Esther in the Old Testament. And uh, the storyline of Esther and King Ahasuerus and the the deliverance that was won through her life in her generation. I'm going to be using it as a, as a type, like a shadow play of Christ and his bride in the New Testament. So I want you to hear it in that context. If I don't go into all the, the little uh, nuances of the story, you'll understand why. It's, it's really just a type, an Old Testament type of something that I believe in my heart today. Once again, our King, Jesus Christ, is seeking a bride. So, Father, I thank you, God, for the touch of heaven. I thank you for the anointing of your Holy Spirit. Thank you today, Lord, that your word will speak to us, to each of us, to our hearts. Your word will lift us and encourage us, challenge us, my God. We'll examine our motives. It will go deep into every life, into every heart, and help us to understand the difference between what is soul and what is spirit. Give us a great touch of heaven. Give me that touch of heaven today, Father, that as I bring this word, it will be a blessing to those that are able to hear it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me today to Esther chapter 2, beginning at verse 15 to verse 17. Now, when the term came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, to go into the king, she requested nothing. But, which, but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. And Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Teba, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So let's go into the story just for a moment. It's a moment in history when we know that there is a going to be a catastrophic attack come against the people of God. There's going to be a decree written that uh, literally the people of God of that time are, are, are going to be exterminated. All of their goods are going to be taken from them. And, and had it succeeded, biblical history would be significantly different than what we know it to be today. But God had a preemptive plan. 
The preemptive plan that God had for this particular moment was to overthrow this time of coming crisis in the nation by bringing a bride, a new bride as it was, into proximity to the king as, as the wife, as the queen of the king of that particular time. And so this young girl, Esther, a Jewish girl, was strategically placed on a divine mission by God Almighty himself, just as you and I have been given a divine mission. There are no exceptions. There's a lot of excuses, but there are no exceptions. You have a purpose and a plan for your life, just as I have for mine, just as people who are high profile have, as others who might not have any profile still have a divine mission, as you do that God has assigned uniquely and specifically to you as he did to Esther. Now, just as Esther was, you and I may not fully understand that plan. We, we know that we're in this world for a purpose. We, we don't know what kind of a great blessing our lives are going to bring or perhaps what kind of a great catastrophe our lives are going to prevent, as in Esther's case. She both actually came through her life, a blessing and the... Uh, the prevention of a catastrophe for our own people. Now, there was something about this girl's character, I believe, that caused the Lord to actually select her and bring her into proximity as the new bride of this king so that the purposes of God may be realized in that season and at that time. First and foremost, Esther was not using the king for her own benefit. You know, I can just imagine all the young girls of the, of the nation at that time being told that the, the king is looking for a new bride, and you have an opportunity to be the bride of the king. And so you can just see the, all of these young girls that were brought in, all of this potential bride that's brought into this place, the, the jockeying for position, for favor, to everybody trying to advance or maybe climb over somebody else to get to the top as it was. And the one thing that characterized, I think, Esther as, as as setting her apart maybe from the others that were around her is that when she was called to go into the king for for her night with the king as it was she requested nothing she she had a trust in her heart that whatever if i am in the plan of god then whatever god has provided for me is sufficient for what i'm called to do and so this is a challenge to your heart today as it is to mine if we are called of God, if you are called of God, if I'm called of God, whatever God is asking you to do, his provision will be sufficient for you. His wisdom, his grace, his empowerment, whatever it is that your life is supposed to accomplish. And, and in Esther's case, as is in yours, you, you and I can't really realize, we, we can't rationalize it. We don't know. We don't see it. All we can do is get up and go through the first door. And the first door, of course, for Esther was just to go in as part of this audition, may I call it that, to be the, the bride of the, uh, uh, the new bride of the king. Now, when it came time to go into the king, uh, you can just see all these others looking for uh, a better dress, uh, whatever it is, uh, more perfume than somebody else. Uh, and, and, of course, people who are in leadership roles, they, they know when people are using them for their own advantage, don't they? It's tiresome, actually. When you, if you're in a leadership role, you, you know instinctively when somebody's approaching you, and it's really just all about them. It's not about you. It's not about your kingdom. It's all about them. And I don't know about in Ireland, but in America, in the last two or three decades, much of what has 
professed to be the bride of Christ has come into his presence for herself. It's been all about herself. Coming to him every every day, perhaps once a week, whatever the uh, occasion is, just to see what new thing we can get from the king today. And you can just see all these girls saying, well, I'm going to be brought into the king, and I'm going to live in a palace, and I'm, I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to have servants, and I'm going to be given prestige, and I'm, uh, I'm going to have instant success, and all of these things maybe that, that so many desire, and we're willing to use the king, not to serve the king, but to use the king for their own advantage. The one thing that made Esther very, very different is that she was not in this for herself. God had ordained her. And I think the king probably found that extremely attractive. When somebody comes into the presence of the king, and and it's not just all about what can I get from you, king, and what can you do for me, but it's more of what can I do for you? I'm here in divine service to Almighty God, and I'm not in it for myself. I think it's time for the bride of Christ to once again rise up and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? This is not about me. This is not about preserving myself. This is not about using you for my own comfort and my own gain and my own status in society. But I'm in this relationship for something deeper than I fully can even understand. But I'm going to trust when I come into the presence of the king, I'm going to trust that what I've been provided is sufficient for what I have been called to do. It's called faith. It's called trust. She trusted that Her provision was sufficient to fulfill God's purpose and God's full calling upon her life. And I challenge you, in this generation, you and I have got to trust. We we don't have to add to what God has given us. We don't have to take away. We don't have to scheme. We don't have to plan. Well, planning is a good thing, I suppose, in some measure. But we don't have to add to God's plan. We don't need to look for resources any deeper than the resources that we've been given through Jesus Christ by the direction of God and the indwelling power of God's Holy Spirit. Bottom line is that if we're willing to be yielded to God for the purposes of God, we will accomplish that which God has set us apart to do. You will accomplish it, and I will accomplish it. Remember, as the Scripture says, it's not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. That's how this work will be built. That's how this journey ahead of you will be accomplished, not by any amount of your human effort other than putting one foot in front of the other and trusting that the giftings of God that have been given to you are sufficient for the calling of God that is upon you. She went in with what she was provided. That's why the scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, I, I, I'm going to ask you the question today. As Esther was willing to go in for her encounter, as it is with the king, to be considered to be the bride that was needed in that particular moment in history, as you and I come in to the presence of Christ, as we say in our prayers, God, would you use my life for your glory? Would you, would you bring increase to your kingdom? Would you, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Are we willing? Are you willing? Am I willing? Are we willing to go with whatever God has given us 
to complete the journey that's set before us, even if we consider it weak or feeble, or in some cases, even ridiculous. You think of David when he went down to the brook, instructed by the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God, as God speaks to him and says, David, look down into the brook and pick five smooth stones. He's about to face a giant. Goliath was nine foot, nine inches tall. Goliath wore a coat of, of, of armor that weighed 125 pounds. Goliath's spear tip on the end of his spear was 15 pounds just by itself. And David is being given this weaponry of God to go down into the valley to face this threat of that particular moment in history with a slingshot and five smooth stones that he found in a brook. Now, in the natural, that is completely foolish. But you see, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't have to find an army. We don't have to have a backup plan. We don't need to find some movers and shakers that can help us win the victory. We need faith and obedience and a life that is willing to be laid down for the sake of others. You think of Moses when God came to Moses and he's living in the wilderness and he gives him, he tells him, I'm going to send you and you're going to bring you're going to bring innumerable numbers of my people out of captivity from one of the most powerful nations and most powerful armies on the earth at that particular time. So here's your weaponry. I'm going to give you a stick in your hand, a staff, and I'm going to give you a one-line sermon. Let my people go that they may go into the wilderness and sacrifice unto me. That's all you have to do. That's, that's your whole weaponry for what I've called you to do. You see, in the natural, it's completely ridiculous weaponry. But this is where the power of God is known. It's not known in our strength, my friend, my brother, my sister. The power of God is made known through our weakness, as the Apostle Paul said. Think about Gideon, if you were in his place. He's given a, he's given a sword, a jar, and a torch, and three groups of 100 soldiers to fight 135,000 Midianites that have come in to devour everything in the nation, they're willing to fight to devour it. I mean, in the natural, it's a completely ridiculous battle plan. But in the battle plan, God had put into Gideon's hands all that he was going to need. He needed a sword. He needed a torch. He needed a clay jar. He needed a voice that would declare the sword of the Lord and the sword of Gideon, and the rest was up to God. Samson was given a jawbone from a donkey to go out and fight a thousand Philistines. Not only did he win with the weaponry that God had placed in his hand, but the jawbone also gave him drink from the hollow part in it in his time of own, his own personal exhaustion. And in Jonathan's case, all that God provided for him was some armor and one friend with a similar heart. And sometimes it's not by a multitude that the salvation of God will come. It's, it's simply by one or two that make the choice to say, God, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to fight, and I'm going to take the half acre that you've set before me, and I trust you for an incredible victory. When Esther was called to prepare herself to go in unto the king, she was given for several months, she was given oil and perfume. And this speaks to me. The oil in the Bible, of course, always speaks of the anointing of God. The, when Samuel, for example, came in to anoint David, the new king of Israel, he took a horn of oil out and poured it on top of his head. So that's, that's one of the types. That, it represents that supply, that never-ending supply of God that, that keeps us in the midst of, of every uh, thing that we're called to do. So Esther's weaponry, in a sense, before going into the king was the calling, the anointing. 
Whatever you're called to do will be accomplished in your life. Don't let any voice, don't let any devil, don't let any frailty of your own heart stop you from that calling. What God's called you to do will be accomplished in your life. It's not by might. I'll say it again. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of Almighty God that this end-time army, this end-time bride that the king is now searching for is going to rise up, come into his presence, and as Daniel once said in the Old Testament, in the last days, those who know their God will be strong and they will do exploits. She was also given perfumes, and it speaks, Revelation 5.8 talks about the prayers of the saints come up as an incense, a type of perfume before the throne of God. She was given this life of dedication to the purposes of God, of yielding to God, of, of being abandoned to God, even though she had no way of knowing the fullness of what was going to be accomplished through her life. She, it's a type of, the, of a person who trusts in the anointing and trusts that in so much that my prayers are sincere, God has heard them. And God will comfort the frailty of my heart. And, and God will speak to me. He promises to be that voice that says, this is the way, walk ye in it. And so I'm going to believe that, the anointing upon my life for, for whatever divine purpose is there. And that prayer that I have prayed, the conversations I've had with God, the whispers of his voice into my heart from his word and from his spirit. I know I'm in a relationship now with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so my life will accomplish a divine purpose. You see, the king was looking for a bride just as much as Christ is looking for his bride in this generation, not, not the vasties who are in the relationship for what they can get out of it, not for what they can give. He's looking for Esther's one more time. Men and women, young people and old people who say, God, I give you my life. I give you my future. I give you the rights, Lord, to take me where you want me to go and to make me into what you want me to be. For your divine purpose, oh God, my life now belongs to you. This relationship now is not about me, but it's about others. In chapter 2, verse 10, the scripture says, Esther had not revealed her people or her family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. In other words, this is not about you, Esther. This relationship with the king is not about preserving yourself. There's something deeper, so don't let it ever be about you. Don't let it be about your, your lineage, your non-lineage, whatever it is. It's not about you. It's about others. The true expression of the Christian life we teach here at our Bible school in Pennsylvania is that living for the benefit of others is where the power of the Christian life is found. Not living for ourselves, not trying to accumulate resources to aggrandize ourselves or get a bigger slice of the pie as it is spiritually speaking and otherwise. No, the true Christian life finds its power source when we are yielded now for the sake of God, which ultimately is for the sake of others. Loving God and loving our neighbors ourselves. Doing for them what we would want them to do for us if we were in a place of captivity or darkness. Or in Esther's case, a death sentence was over her entire race of people at that time. She didn't know it because it hadn't transpired yet, but God knew it. God foreknew it. And he had already appointed her because of the character and characteristics in her life to be that vessel that would be used to bring about a great, great deliverance. There's some characteristics also about Esther that made her usable in the hand of God. In chapter 4 and verse 11, 
when the call came to her life to make a difference because she had association with the king, she said, I have not been called to go into the king for these, these 30 days. And, and some of us feel there are times when we feel distant from the king. There are times when we feel like he's, we feel unlovely, unloved, unwanted. We, we become maybe aware of our, our, our frailties and our failings. And, but Esther was able to press through, and, and the true bride of Christ has to press through these, these feelings of unloveliness, these feelings of distance, these feelings of, of where, is my, where is my king? Where's, where's, where's the bridegroom? Why hasn't he called me into his presence? Why, why am I not hearing him like I used to? And sometimes those dry seasons in the Christian life can cause us to draw back from whatever it is that God has destined for our lives. But Esther was willing, even though she felt that she was out of communion at that time with her husband, she was willing to press through this distant feeling and press in to the presence of the king who could make a difference. And you and I have got to pray now like we've never prayed before. You know it in Ireland. We know it here in America that this generation is in trouble. Darkness is on parade now. And there is coming persecution even deeper than we've known it against the church of Jesus Christ and the testimony of God. Just as Haman, that wicked leader, came in and and began to threaten even Esther's existence, even though he didn't know it at the time, Esther was threatened too as well. But she lived in such proximity to the king that she was the voice that could make a difference. When you and I are living in right relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, your voice can make a difference. It doesn't matter how distant we feel. Our feelings have nothing to do with it. We are in relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we have been declared the righteousness of God. In the book of Hebrews, we're invited to come boldly to the throne of grace, not in times of strength, but in our time of need, when we need grace, when we need help, when we need mercy. We are, we are called to come boldly in because we are in relationship with the king. Esther knew that. Esther already, always, she knew as well that to go into the presence of the king might have cost her her safety or her security. And there's some of us who are considering this today. We know that to seek God at this time and to seek his will and, and the pathway before us, it could cost us our freedom. In some cases, it could be worse than that. In any case, it's going to be difficult for those of us who are called to stand and speak truth in a time and season where truth is no longer desired by the general populace. At least those in power don't desire to hear truth anymore. But Esther said in chapter 4, verse 16, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shusan and fast for me, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther was willing to live for the benefit of others, for the sake of others. It wasn't about preserving herself. And this is the bride that the king is looking for in this generation, a bride that is not living to preserve herself. Didn't Jesus Christ himself tell us that if you seek to save your life, you will lose it? If you seek to save yourself, You will lose the life that I could have given you. You will lose the place I could have taken you. 
You will lose the power that could have been yours. You will lose the influence that could have flowed through your hands and through your life. And not only you, but others around you will lose their eternity. Because instead of being willing to go into the king for a divine purpose, for a higher purpose than self-preservation, you chose to draw back and preserve yourself. It's like the parable of the man who puts the, uh, and, uh, the money that was entrusted to him into a napkin and folds it up, hoping one day to present that to Christ as if that's going to be enough for a life that was supposed to be lived for his purposes and for his glory. And so Esther went in, and she said, if I, if I perish, I perish. And I think that the true bride of Christ is at this point now in history where we've got to make a choice. To go in, to press into the king could cost me in the future. I have the, dis- I have the distinct privilege of living in the outer court if I want. I can, I can live far away from God. I can protect and preserve myself. I can actually do what Vashti wants did. I can use my relationship for my own advantage. Or I can press into the king for the purpose for which he has ordained my life, for that divine purpose, which ultimately is about others. And before others could be set free, Esther had to make the choice to be willing to give up her security to give up her freedom and perhaps even give up her life for the sake of those who were under a sentence of death. We, we are going to have to make that choice because the king is now looking for his bride. We're going to have to make the choice to say, God, I'm not going to live to preserve myself and say that I represent a king who went to a cross so that I'm, and, and gave his life so that I might be set free. I'm not going to take that incredible gift, declare myself to be in relationship with him, and that draw back and live to preserve myself. No, I'm going to press in. I'm going to ask him to move his hand of favor towards me. I'm going to make petition for those that don't have a voice to fight for themselves. I'm going to, I'm going to fight for our children. I'm going to fight for the unborn in this generation. I'm going to fight for those who have a sentence of death written over their lives. The devil himself has written a sentence of death, and there are laws being enacted even now to, to push the, back the one voice that can prevent that sentence of death from happening. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to draw back. The book of Hebrews tells us, if, if any man draw back, the Lord says, my soul will have no pleasure in him. I'm not, I'm not going to draw back. I'm going to draw into the presence of my king. And if I perish, I perish. I think it's a terrible thing for the Lord to have a bride this day. Could you imagine uh, any man who's listening to me? Imagine if, if your, your wife was willing to let your children perish when it was in her hand to do something to save them. How would you feel about your bride? I wonder sometimes how does Christ feel about a bride that's willing to let children perish everywhere and not, not stand up and not stand in the gap and not make a difference when we are called, as Christ was, to make a difference for his namesake and for his glory in our time. Esther had to learn to wait upon God and trust in his wisdom. She, I love the, the story that when she... She got up and went into the, the, the court of, of her king that he moved the hand of power towards her and says, what do you request, Esther? 
and it shall be done up to half the kingdom. You see how his heart was moved because this was a virtuous bride and he knew she was a virtuous bride. He knew instinctively that she wasn't coming into his court for herself. It had to be for a cause bigger than her own concerns and her own comforts. He knew the heart of this bride and it moved the heart of the secular king, Ahasuerus at this time, to move the scepter towards Esther. If you know, Jesus said, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? How much more will the hand of God not move, the hand of the heart of God not be moved by a a bride that comes into his presence and she's not there for herself? She's not there just to say, I need a new dress or I I need a bigger house or I I need a better job or I'm... You know, all of these things that, that, that can occupy all of our thinking and our time, I am convinced that a Hauser is new for this woman to come through that door and actually risk her life. It wasn't about her. It was about something bigger than her. And it moved the heart of even this heathen king to move his scepter and offer her half the kingdom. Can you imagine? This is how much this, this king appreciated a bride that was not in this relationship as, as so many others were just for themselves. No, she was in it for something deeper, something fuller, something richer, something that kings actually should be all about. She said, if I've found favor of the king and it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the banquet, which I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So Esther invited the king and invited this man, a Satan type really as it is, into this banquet that she had prepared and knew enough to wait on God and not speak until God had spoken to her. You know, most of us probably would have blurted out the request just when the king's scepter moved. And those who could get beyond that would have, would have blurted the request out in the first banquet. But Esther knew. She had learned to trust in God. She would learned to wait. Don't speak until God speaks. Don't move until God moves. And when God speaks and God moves, move with him. That's when the supernatural begins to happen. And you and I have got to learn to be a supernatural church in this generation. A natural church, a natural argument is not going to win this moment in history. We've got to move with the Spirit of Almighty God. We've got to move in the power of God again in this time. We've got to move with the wisdom of God. We've got to move with the purpose of God. We've got to move with the confidence we have in our God. And we've got to move with the heart of God beating inside of each of our bodies. And ultimately, God used Esther to expose this evil. Just as much as God is looking for a bride again for his son in this generation that can walk in unison with the Son of God, and her life will be used to expose the darkness, to cast down these imaginations, this imagining of this particularly satanically inspired man that he could somehow conquer the people of God of that time and the testimony of God in his people at that time. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the casting down of imaginations, the pulling down of strongholds, and casting, bringing into obedience every thought that stands in disobedience to the word and the will 
of God. God gave this bride incredible favor, and it moved the heart of the king to rise up against his enemies. And from this initial position of being selected among all these people and coming in with just what she had into the presence of the king, Esther is brought in the Medo-Persian Empire to a place that's almost unthinkable for the culture of that time. Esther became ultimately a co-regent with her husband. She began to rule with authority. She began to lead with authority. And that, that would have been a first, perhaps, for that culture. In chapter 9, verse 29, it says, Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter, letter rather, about Purim. She, she was given of the king authority, just as the bride of Christ is called to rule and reign with Christ, ultimately in eternity. But we're called to represent his kingdom here. We're called to speak with authority. We're called to believe that when we pray that God will answer. We're called to speak with definitive authority and tell people about who Christ is. Tell them what he has done for them and tell them they can be forgiven if they will repent of their sin and turn to him again. She also had to learn to handle authority with humility. It was a great responsibility given to her and a great position. And I can see Esther write as much as she had just come in with nothing more in that initial encounter with the king than what the king's chamberlain had put into her hand. I can see now she's got a quill in her hand and she's given authority to start writing, rewriting the law of death into a law of life, to start writing decrees in a sense with her cousin Mordecai that would be obeyed by the people of the land. An amazing thing, but I believe in my heart that, that Esther had the same grace at that moment in her life that she had in the beginning when she was nobody and when she was nothing. She didn't let authority, she didn't let power or prestige change her character. And may God grant you and I the grace to be humble. If the Lord should choose to use us, if God should use us as a key to open doors to bring multitudes into his kingdom, if God should use us and give us authority in our speech to cast down powers and principalities, if God should put something in our hands so that laws are rewritten, laws that were destined for death and evil are rewritten into laws of life, may Almighty God give us the humility to handle those moments the very same way we handle it when we knew we were nothing without him, when we knew that without the king we were just orphans, all of us, as Esther once was with no lineage, no parentage, no power, not even much of a future in many cases without the intervention of God. May God give you, may God give me the courage to stand up in this generation, and may God give us the humility to handle victory if victory should be our portion. This is my cry for the church in Ireland. You have great days ahead of you because there's a hunger in society now that perhaps has not been seen for many, many years. It began with the breaking of the stranglehold of religion that was over the nation, and it left a vacuum. And now the crisis of COVID and the crisis of uncertainty around the world is, is opening people's hearts to consider their ways. It's opening your heart to start speaking to them about a king who is willing to rewrite the law of death and sin in their life into a law of life through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our king our Lord and our Savior. 
The Lord's hand has moved. His scepter has moved through his son, Jesus Christ, to every heart, to every life, every man, every woman, every child that will cry out for mercy. God will forgive them. And I challenge you, church in Ireland, speak with authority. Stand up and be counted. Don't cower under the unjust and unrighteous laws of this time. You have the right to speak the name of Jesus. You have the right to fast and pray and come into the presence of the king. You have the right to believe that the heart of God will be moved towards your petitions. You have the right to believe that God will give you the wisdom to do everything that he has called you to do. You have the right to believe that victory will be won, not for you because you already live in victory, but victory will be won for all of those who have no helper. They don't have any strength to fight. They're under a sentence of death, and without your intervention, that's exactly what's going to happen to them. Rise up, almighty men and women of God. Shake off the, ch the shackles that the devil would try to put on you and tell you that because you don't have this or you don't have that, that somehow you can't be used of God. None of that is true. You look at Corinthians. The Lord chooses the weak, and he chooses the foolish, and he chooses the nothings and the nobodies, the uneducated and the unwise, those that have no uh, glorious parentage to speak of. They, they have no political connections. He takes those of us who know we are nothing, as Esther once was gives us what we need, brings us into proximity with the king where he claims us as his bride and then gives us the right to come in in times of crisis, not for ourselves, but for others. Gives us the right to come in and we see the scepter of God's power moving towards us. He gives us the right to call the works of darkness what they are and to believe that they can be overthrown by the power of our God. And when it's all said and done, he gives us the responsibility to walk humbly before God and walk humbly before the king and walk humbly before our fellow man. May God grant us again, oh, church in Ireland, may God grant you the power and the privilege of being the people of God as you are called to be. There are so many Esthers that I'm speaking to today, so many Daniels, so many Davids, so many Deborahs, so many Moses. I'm speaking to you today. You are called of God to make a difference in your generation. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did in the past instructs us, as Paul told Timothy, about what he will do again today and in the future. He doesn't change. Let's go back to him again. Let's go into his presence for the right reasons. Let's believe that each of our lives can be used for his glory in a way that only he understands. Esther had no way, she had no way of knowing what her life was going to accomplish. God never fully gives us the plan. He only shows us the first step. So here's what I advise you to do. Take what you've been given already. You have an anointing and you have the sweet perfume of prayer. Take those two things and come into the presence of the king today and offer them up to God and let him, let him receive you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I ask you today, God, to give strength to your bride. Give strength to your people. Use each of us 
for your glory in this generation. Help us, Lord, to trust you that what you have placed in our hands is enough to do the work that you've called us to do. Help us, Lord, to believe for bigger things than our own feeble hearts can believe for in our lives. Help us, Lord God, to move with you when you move and to speak what you speak and to do what you call us to do. Ultimately, Lord, we ask that you would use each of us to bring multiples of people into freedom, out from under the law of sin and death and into the law of life in Christ Jesus. I do pray, God, for a blessing on the church in Ireland. Oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus, let heaven come down upon your people in that nation. Let there be a touch of heaven such as perhaps has never been seen all throughout history and raise up a song and a testimony and put a glory upon your bride, oh, my God, that every knee will have to bow before you, Lord Jesus Christ, and to confess that you have loved them. Lord, thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Give you praise and give you glory. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com. Or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.